Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. Our goal is to get to the root issues of systemic problems using a theological and psychological lens. We hope you enjoy. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings. Malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration Services, their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis, and this is episode 111. Today I have with me my friend, Brittany Green. Um, I'm so excited to have you on and to talk through mental health and coaching and just life and all the things you're doing. So thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks, Clint. It's so good to be here. I've uh, watched what you've done in your work uh, for a few years now, and so it's a pleasure to be able to sit with you uh, for an episode of your podcast. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, so tell us kind of what you do, what, what are you currently doing, and then we'll talk about how you got there. Uh, I'm doing many things, Clint, so this could go a while. Let's do but, it. Uh, primarily what I do is I am the uh, chief of domestic violence at the Caddo Parish District Attorney's Office. Mm-hmm. So what I do every day is represent victims of domestic violence, family violence, and try to make their lives better. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to doing that, I'm also a speaker and a wellness coach where I focus in the areas of life purpose, empowerment, and destiny. That's awesome. That's going to be great to talk about. That's why I wanted to have you on here. So, Brittany, you were telling me about working at the court. So yes. tell me more about kind of what got you into that field and that work. Well, I went to law school later in life. Uh, I was 28 years old uh, when I decided to quit my career in law enforcement and go to law school. I was living in Miami, Florida at the time. So I went to law school, finished law school, and I always wanted to be a prosecutor. But uh, when I finished law school, I was lured by the money of private (laughs) practice, and I started doing uh, an area of law, medical malpractice defense. Okay. I absolutely hated it. Oh, man. Uh, So I lasted about 18 months, and then I decided that I wanted to move back to Louisiana, and that's where, once I returned here home to Louisiana, that's when I started prosecuting. And I worked as a uh, prosecutor in um, a parish south of here first. And it was something about the area of domestic violence that really uh, arose, just awakened a lot of passion within me. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I think about uh, my beginning to care so much about uh, that particular issue, I remember being a law student and working under the supervision of the senior attorney. And I was doing an internship at a court in Fort Lauderdale. And there was a domestic violence case. And this woman had been stripped naked uh, by her boyfriend, beaten in the street in front of a crowd of her neighbors Mm. and people who were nearby. Uh, The police caught this person, and we were going to have a trial on the case. And I was going to get an opportunity to really do some uh, work inside of the courtroom. I stood up, I told uh, the jury what had happened, and we called the uh, victim to the witness stand. She looked out at her abuser, and she told him how much she loved him, and she then told me how they were going to get married. And she denied everything. Uh, She denied that he had hit her, that he had stripped her naked, And the jury found him not guilty, and he walked out of the courtroom that day. And he walked out down the front steps. I drove up to the parking garage, and I cried my entire lunch Mm. break because I just felt the weight of that injustice, the weight of knowing that this person, this woman, was going to be returning to that same situation. And so later, as 
I had the opportunity to prosecute and to represent those types of victims. Somewhere within me, that experience has always lived, and that's what I'm fighting for every day, is to be able to help people have a voice who may not be ready to use their own voice. Mm-hmm. I mean, it takes a certain level of, of grace and understanding to not be mad at that woman, right? Absolutely. So how, how is that? It, because um, what I do is I take myself out of it. And when we can uh, take a stance of being more objective and understanding that everybody else's journey is not going to be like your journey, uh, none of us have the, the same starting point. Mm-hmm. And so I always think about um, victims who are not ready to come forward, survivors who are not ready to speak out, and advocate for themselves. I look at the word yet. It's mm. it's a tiny word, but it's so expansive. Yeah. They're not ready yet. They're not speaking up yet. And so until they overcome yet, then I'm there. And so uh, that's how I look at it. And once I uh, started to see it, from that viewpoint, then the frustration diminished because it is frustrating. It's all uphill because you're trying to do work on behalf of someone who most of the time doesn't want you to do that work on their behalf. Yeah. And That's I've just grown. What a parallel to the gospel. Like what a parallel to uh, us being in this, what we would call like the not yet. Yes. You know, God, because of Christ has redeemed us. We're, we were redeemed by Christ but we're not yet in bodies that are redeemed and we're not yet in a redeemed world. That's right. And so like God sees us as redeemed, but we're not yet fully redeemed. That's right. And so it's such an interesting dynamic because in order to have hope, right, to to go, okay, not yet, like it, yes. it's coming, healing's it's coming. coming, right? That dem- that woman's going to walk away from that domestic violence for the rest of her life at some point. One day she'll be in a healthy relationship. One day those kids are going to be out of it, but not yet. Yes. Right, it allows us to have hope and to continue to uh, to move forward and fight. Because if you're if you're hopeless, right? If you that's right. If you're like, there's no chance, and because I didn't win for her or him this time, it's over. Absolutely, man. What a uh, exhausting process. It it is, and uh, there has to be passion. There has to be a love of people, and there has to be an understanding of what God wants us to do. And one of the easiest ways uh, to understand how to move forward is to ask yourself, what did God say about this? Mm-hmm. And it is convicting, but it's also extremely uplifting. Yeah. And it is that guide because we know that uh, what we're seeking is a compass. Uh, oftentimes the situations that we uh, encounter in life, there's no roadmap which would give us directions but there's a compass that can give us direction. Mm-hmm. Go in a certain area. You may not be able to pinpoint. And so I'm always looking for the compass rather than the road map that can tell me, stop here, do this, turn left, turn right. I just need to know that I'm moving toward something mm, that I is like that. good. That's good. And so if I ask myself that question, then I always am moving in the right direction. And I think that's what it takes and that's what... Uh, we have to do when we find these seemingly insurmountable situations and circumstances. Uh, and I've just been blessed to be put in a position where I can help. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Well, take us back a little bit. What? So you're from Shreveport or Louisiana originally? I am. I okay. was born and raised in the little town of Mansfield. Oh, yeah. And I uh, graduated high school and I went off to Northwestern State University in Natchitoches and I did everything but the right thing when I was in college. <laughs> yeah, join the club. Yeah, absolutely. And so I lasted about a year and a half. And I didn't want to come home, though. What I knew was I had to go forward, even at that young age and even after my missteps with college and, and absolutely squandering a wonderful scholarship. And What did you get a scholarship in? I was uh, a presidential merit scholar, oh, nice. and uh, it was academics, and I had been voted by my high school senior class as most likely to succeed. And so there I was, 
uh, flunking out of college after three semesters. And I had to find something that would offer me a sense of redemption. And I picked up a phone book at that time. (laughs) Kids, Uh, a phone book. (laughs) (laughs) Flipped through the yellow pages, and I found a Marine Corps recruiter's number. I called up this recruiter, and I was so... Um, I didn't have a sense of how much worked with the military to the point that I asked this recruiter, Donald Brewer, uh, when he answered, I said, hey, do you guys take women? (laughs) And (laughs) he said, that's great. Oh, do we? Uh, I can meet with you today. So we didn't meet that day. But a couple days later, uh, in the library on campus, I sat with Sergeant Brewer, and I was so taken with the idea of becoming a woman Marine that I asked him, do you have the paperwork right now because I'm ready to sign? But I, I Absolutely. <laughs> Semper Fi. But I look back on that moment, and it is evidence and confirmation that the journey that we are all destined to make— It's already inside of us, no matter how young we are, no matter if it seems that we can't do anything right, no matter if we have stumbled, it is still within us. And so there will be times where it seems that something is guiding us and we have no idea and it seems crazy at the time, but we feel compelled to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, No one understood my my mother cried her eyes out. All of my friends thought I was crazy. Um, I had one friend who called up her dad who had been a Marine so he could talk me out of it. And nobody could talk me Lots out of, of it. Lots of support, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, but I had that same experience mm-hmm. when I uh, decided to go to Fuller and go to California, being just this like little Louisiana kid, gra- sure. getting out of the military. And I'm like looking for grad schools. And Fuller was like, the thing that I felt like God was calling me to. And yet a hundred percent of the people in my life, I think maybe my mom was on board, but other than that, everybody's like, that's a terrible idea. Like, why right. would you move to California? You should just go to Dallas theological or new Orleans theological. Sure. Like, why are you going to spend all this money and time? And it was the same thing. It was like one of my friends actually a shout out to Dr. David Wheeler. He uh, was one of my mentors and he was the main one being like, you're never going to make any money. You're never going to be able to pay anybody back in mental health. Like you're going to have all these student loans. And literally in the last like two years, I remember having a conversation with him. He's like, you know, I'm sorry I didn't support you. You know, he That's was supportive, right. but he was trying to be encouraging. But yeah, it's like, there's these moments where you know what God's calling you to. Yes. And you really just have to step out in faith. And even if no one believes it, now, sometimes what you're doing is stupid, and so maybe you should listen to the people. <laughs> but I've been there too. But in these cases, like it's when hindsight's twenty twenty. It is. Right? It you is. You have to look back and go, "Wow, God just gave me a confidence that doesn't make sense." It didn't make sense, mm-hmm. and but you feel compelled, and in those moments, um, you really don't understand it yourself. All you understand is that you have to go, mm-hmm. which is really very akin to faith. Mm. Uh, we can't see the next stair. We just know we have to step and we trust. And I went off to boot camp and graduated, uh, boot camp, went off to Washington DC for, um, to headquarters Marine Corps. And it was amazing. Uh, and that's where I really grew. And how long were you in? I was in four years and I left as a Sergeant of Marines and I had, um, been named Marine of the Year, uh, wow. Marine of the Quarter, Marine of the Month, all of those things, because there was has always been a drive within me that wherever I am, then I simply must strive to set myself apart. Right. And uh, so even in the military, where everything kind of is supposed to be the same, I got to that base uh, in Arlington, Virginia, and I said, you know, I have got to figure out how to get further than I am now. Yeah. And uh, I spent four years, one of the most wonderful times of my life, uh, a period of tremendous growth. And then I asked myself, uh, I was presented with an opportunity to work for the Commandant of the United States Marine Corps, the four-star general and uh, the highest ranking officer in the Uh, Marine Corps. And I got the call uh, when I was on vacation here uh, back in Louisiana. 
and the commandant's office called and I knew if I accepted that position then I would stay in the Marine Corps because my path would be set then mm-hmm. I said no Ooh. because what and a, I didn't what a choice. I, I didn't know what was beyond the no but I knew that if I accepted mm-hmm. then I was going to be limited to that world and I wanted to see what else was out there and we were off man what did you do immediately after getting out well this is um incredibly um it i the first job that i had when i left the marine corps is i was trying to sell airplane parts in boca raton florida wow <laughs> i i mean that's normally a transition right I, it's of like course, people absolutely. have such a hard time when they get out of the military you have such purpose and you have meaning and you have yeah. somebody honoring you and asking you to be number one yeah. and then we get out and we're like uh what am i doing yeah and it was incredibly confounding because I didn't know what to do with myself. And so I tried to sell airplane parts. And then I was like, I really need to go back to school because at that time I didn't have an undergraduate degree. Uh, But I didn't want to sit in a classroom. Um, I went through a lot uh, of questioning myself and my ability and whether I had made the right decisions and whether my initial stumble uh, going to college was going to cost me for the rest of my life. Mm. Um, And so I went through some really tough times, but those are the periods where you are going to find out who you are and they set the foundation for the future success. So true. Yeah, it is. It's, it's difficult, you know, and all of us, right. When we're not in the struggle, when we're not in the suffering, and man, I think right now, especially in our culture, almost everything, whether it's drugs or alcohol or addiction or abuse is, um, struggle avoidance, really right. Pain avoidance. It's like, I need to escape. I need to seek comfort. And again, I'm not telling people to go out and find suffering, but it's in that suffering where you grow the most. Absolutely. And so what, how are, how are we becoming less resilient as a society? Well, we're teaching our kids and ourselves that comfort right? Is the thing that is successful. The American dream is having money and wealth and being able to take four vacations, riding around in our air conditioner Lexus, you know, being in a super nice house and really never having anything that causes us any problems. That is the alleged great life, right? And, (laughs) and, and but people are miserable. (laughs) They are. And I often say that no one wants to feel like themselves uh, because if, in fact, we are sober and we are in our right minds, then we are going to have to acknowledge pain. We're going to have to acknowledge discomfort. We're going to have to go through some things and it's going to feel a certain way and it's not going to feel good. Mm -hmm. But what it does is it truly, those times, Anyone who has lived a little bit will look back and say, I couldn't see it then, but the wilderness that I was in really prepared me Mm -hmm. for the place that I am in now. And I can look back with all certainty and say that. Of course, as you said, hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah. So what do we do when we're in the midst of it, though, and we don't have the benefit of having reached the top of the mountain? Yeah. Uh, we're still climbing. The only way to deal with that and to deal with it with a clear mind without relying on uh, toxins is to try to enjoy the journey and to know that that's really the goal is to be on the journey rather than trying to get to a particular spot. That's good. Yeah, I think I've had to learn um, my prayer for the last couple of years, you know, uh, is when I'm in that crisis or when I'm in that struggle or when something happens that confounds me and I have no clue is to go, okay, God, this time I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to freak out because the last 27, you've been good. Absolutely. Right. You've made ways in the wilderness. You've made rivers in the desert. You've done these, you've, you've fulfilled your promises 100% of the time. Yes. And yet, just like the people, the Bible, I'm constantly going, you're so amazing. You've got me out of this situation and now I see its purpose. Wow. I wouldn't want it any other way. And then the (laughs) next thing I'm like, Oh hell, everything's going bad. Like, what am I going to do? Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, I think that is the strength is when you're on, when you're on the incline and you're going up and you're like, why is this so hard and difficult and why are things not going how I want? 
is just like you said, like remembering what God did for you last time and having those moments. And I think even in the world of mental health where people are maybe having intrusive thoughts or, you know, they've had some sobriety, but they relapse or they, yes. uh, you know, had a hard time or financial burdens and then success. We have to remember the last time. Absolutely. But we have to have wins. Yes, you know, like you have to have a win to look back on. You do, yeah. which means that you have to stay in the race. Yeah. Uh, one of the things you talk about um, being able to look back at the past time that things did work out, that you were delivered, that you ended up better off than you ever thought you could be. Uh, when we work with our coaching clients, we have them do two boards. Oftentimes we hear about vision boards and people always want to put all of these things on their vision boards, right? They want the fancy car, they want the house, they want to jet set, they want to go to Dubai. They have no idea why they want to go to Dubai. They simply must. Absolutely. (laughs) And they want to sit on that swing in Indonesia because social media. Yeah. And one of the things that we do instead of just limiting it to this vision board of all of these things that the world has told us will make us happy is we work with our clients on two different boards. One is the evidence board. The evidence board contains the past wins. These are things that I did. These are situations that I conquered. These mm. are circumstances that I overcame. That's the evidence board. Then the other board is the breakthrough board. Okay, I overcame, conquered, accomplished all of these things, my past wins. Here are my future wins. This is what I want to do. Mm -hmm, That's good. Never on that evidence board do people put things like cars and the trip to Dubai. It's always about relationships and and finding out who they were and finishing something that they never thought they could do. It's about experiences and relationships. So then once they do that evidence board, then that flows over to the breakthrough board, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what they're looking to do rather than just say something easy. That's really good. I mean, yeah, because you know, and I know that those, those things that we try to achieve that are just material or physical or earthly, I mean, they don't meet our expectations. Never. I was talking this morning, I went and spoke at a, a school and me and the principal were talking and, uh, she was asking me how the book was going and the pocket, you yes. know, these things are going. And I said, it's funny, it's January. And last January I did my Ted talk. And if you had asked me three years ago, like what's the pinnacle of like speaking, right? Ted. Right. Somebody would say, Oh, if you, Ted talk, right? Like Absolutely. all these people became super famous and super fan, you know, fancy and super well known wrote books, all these things because they got it to do a Ted talk. Sure. And so when Ted came around, I knew that was what, like I was having this conversation with my therapist, with my pastor, with my friends. And I'm like, I know I'm going to do the Ted talk. Mm-hmm. It's going to be over. And then I'm going to move on to a hundred other things and probably not think about it again. Right. And I was very happy this year. Like I just realized this morning that that was a year ago. That is amazing. And I'm like, oh yeah, because I also wrote a book in between now and then. Sure. And then it came out and now I've moved on to other things. You know, it's like, absolutely. if, if I put my security or my hope or my worth and value into even what we see as a society or as professionals as the mm-hmm. creme de la creme absolutely it's over and you're still with your marriage you're still with your kids you're still with your peers and if those things aren't healthy if those things aren't fulfilling that's when things fall apart absolutely. And, I, and i hope that people that are hearing this like they meet with people like me meet with people like you because they need help kind of re- deconstructing and reconstructing just what the world has told them, what their family system has told them about what's going to be success. And success is what we talk about all the time. Uh, what is going to be success? How are we going to define that? And I always point to the why. If we look at why we want a certain thing, mm-hmm. then oftentimes we will find out that we already have what it takes to get that thing. Yep. I remember uh, years ago, uh, one of my dreams was to uh, be able to give my mom uh, a big house with a nice yard where she could plant all the flowers that she wanted and a house where there was lots of light and space and she could do whatever she wanted to in it. And that was a dream of mine for years. When I moved back here uh, to Louisiana, 
I went back. I, I was a lawyer. I had a bar license in Florida. I had to take the bar exam when I uh, came here. And I moved back in with my mom for about nine months. And then once I got my footing, I said, it's time for me to move. I, I need to buy a home. And so I went to look and I found this incredible house with this uh, wonderful suite uh, that was just fantastic. And I asked my mom, will you come with me? Will you leave the house that you've been in for like over 50 years and come with me? And she said, absolutely. And I thought back to my dream of wanting to give her this big home and big yard where she could plant all the flowers that she loved. The dream, I had to look at the why. Why did I want that? I wanted her to be happy. I wanted her to have the things that she had never had. But if I had kept that dream in a narrow view that she needed to have that as her sole address and I needed to be somewhere somewhere else, then I never would have realized that I got the dream. Mm. And the dream turned out that we were going to share that home and that I was going to be able to see her every single day. I put the key in the lock, I open the door, I walk in, there she is. And that's what we have to do is the why. Why do we want these things? And oftentimes we will realize that we can have them. That's beautiful. I mean, that's amazing. Tell me the name of your coaching. Key point leadership. Key point. I kept wanting to say keystone, but yeah, yeah key point leadership. That's awesome. And you, wh- how long has that been open? I have been doing wellness coaching for the better part of 10 years. Okay. Uh, I really started out speaking and then it branched into the coaching and I was doing it on a smaller level because I didn't trust myself mm-hmm. uh, because as we go into uh, work that is going to help others, the experiences that we've had, uh, those small voices will pop up from time to time and they'll say, who are you to teach somebody that? (laughs) Remember that time? Remember that time? (laughs) Remember yesterday? Yeah, remember yesterday. And so um, those voices though, as I did more and more of the work, got smaller and smaller. And it's not to say that they disappear, but it means that they can operate in tandem with you going forward and helping the people that God has sent you here to help. And so I really, uh, what helped me to truly launch uh, Key Point Leadership and do the work that I'm called to do is, of course, when my world was shaken. And it's what I call divine disruption. Mm -hmm. We don't like it. It's scary. (laughs) It feels bad. Like you were talking about earlier, we're like, God, what is happening? Am I going to make it through? But I had uh, prosecuted for six years in uh, DeSoto. And, of course, the uh, district attorney I was working for uh, sought re-election and did not win. So his successor, right, was someone that I knew I had a different uh, vision and I needed to do something different. So I left six years of comfort and doing the work that I loved, and I went into private practice full time Mm -hmm. with my uh, law partner, Ron Stamps. And so that year was a year of tremendous growth. But because I had that disruption where I had had six wonderful, very comfortable years, now I was doing something different. What it did was it enabled me to see, well, if you're going to do this differently, why don't you just do the thing, another thing that you've always wanted to do? A friend of mine was working in Miami at uh, Department of Children and Families, and she knew that I was doing some uh, presentations about leadership, and leadership is just another love of mine. And she said, you know, if you come down, um, we have our DCF investigators they put on programming for them. You won't get paid, but if you come down, you know, you could just show them what you could do. And I bought a ticket and I put together this incredible presentation and I went down and I put it on 30 minutes into my presentation. The director who was in there observing, she walked out. I saw her and I said, that could be something bad, but I continued on. 
At the next break, she came back in and she said, I left during your presentation because I went to start preparing your contract (laughs) because we want you back. That's amazing. And I have always looked at that as evidence that, first of all, just bet on yourself. Mm. Go to the work and don't necessarily look for the expected reward right up front because that instance in that instance it was proof to me i'm right Mm -hmm. people will pay me for what i'm doing and there is an audience for this there's a clientele for this the next time that i went there i left with a check for ten thousand dollars I use that all the time and I always keep that check and I take it and I show kids and I show adults because it's not about the money. It is about the fact that all of us have something inside of us that is so worthy, so valuable, that's way bigger than $10,000. It is, it represents the trust that I had in myself at that time and that there can be many different types of rewards that come with that. From that moment on, I really start, started to identify myself as a coach, a speaker, a facilitator, instead of just kind of whispering that with mm-hmm. uncertainty. Yeah, that's good. I think I'm still working on that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we were, so, so if you notice, if you're, if you're watching the video uh, audience, we switched the camera or the uh, microphones. Uh, if you're listening to it, you didn't see that. But when we started, we had tried something new with the podcast where we had the mics in between us. Mm-hmm. And so we started it. We you know, did the intro. And then um, I had this internal monologue that said, just go with it. You don't like it, but it's too uncomfortable to stop. And you don't want to upset Brittany or make her <laughs> feel like a waste of time. I don't want Chip to have to come and rearrange everything. So, you know, what I felt like was what was best Um, as a leader, as a podcaster, as the facilitator, I was going to not do because of everybody else's feelings. Absolutely. And that's like a classic thing that is in my life. And so there was a moment and then I was like, no, you know, that's what's right. Move it. And so we moved the the mics around and got them out of the way and we reset and and started the podcast. So I said I was going to talk about it on this because it's right in that vein, right? Mm, It's absolutely. It's knowing like walking in the position that God's given you and the gifts that he's been given you in a humble way but being confident that it's, it's your lane absolutely, and that your lane doesn't mean better than anybody else's lane. Right. But it doesn't mean nothing either. Absolutely. And I think I'm still working on, you know, that from my own trauma and my own childhood and family systems of just believing in myself and believing that confidence isn't arrogance. Yes. And that, um, humility isn't false humility, right? It's not like putting yourself down and hiding is not humility. Absolutely. Right? And I think I've had to really, really work on that. And, and one of the things I see in you and have always seen in you as we've known each other is just you just exude confidence. And it doesn't feel inauthentic. It feels very normal. It doesn't feel uh, aggressive or abrasive yes. like some people who are overcompensating confidence. Yes. And that's what really drew me to, you know, you and, and people like Keisha and some yes. of the people we mutually know is just, yeah. you know, and now that I hear your story, it's, it's like, that is who God's made you, right? He's yes. given you this, uh, this gift of faith is what I would call it. The spirit of faith where you just are going to do what you're going to do when it's hard. You're going to step out, you know, you're going to take those risks yes. that most people aren't willing to take because it's scary and it's yes. overwhelming and we really don't know what's going to happen. Yes. You know, and, and like you said before it, sometimes we can forget that leaders and speakers and teachers and writers and, you know, they have the same stuff going on. Absolutely. You know, we all have insecurities and fears. And we were talking about before we started like that. That's what makes you a healthy, mature person is acknowledging that and then being open about that and then continuing to work on it. Going forward anyway. Yeah, it's like, And acknowledging that, yes, there are vulnerabilities and I have these feelings, but doing it in spite of. And that's often that's another principle that we teach so often is there's no difference between you and the person that is doing what you actually want to do, except that they are taking action Mm -hmm. in spite of these feelings. Because one of the things that you spoke to Clint a few moments ago is where we can be overly self-deprecating, right? And we shrink back and we want to hide. 
and we don't want to be visible. And there's so much behind us desiring uh, invisibility. Mm-hmm. I used to say, and a couple of years ago, I made a conscious decision that I would stop saying it. I used to identify myself as shy. Mm. And people would say, oh, how can you be shy? You get up and you do this and you get get up and you do that and you're in a courtroom and you're on a stage. But in fact, I stopped saying that I was shy because it really spoke to my desire for invisibility. Mm -hmm. And that desire is always tied to some type of fear. And oftentimes we're afraid of someone judging us and not liking what they see. And if we can only work to move past that, to get better at handling that, then we will do more. So often, um, I am very big on personal dreams and the dreams that people have because every single person out there wants to do something Mm -hmm. that they feel is magnificent, that they feel is going to make a difference, that they feel is going to make them happy. But they don't because who am I to do this thing or who am I to do that thing who am I to try this who am I to try that and so we just kind of shrink back and hide from what we're called to do Mm -hmm. and we don't make the stop along the way for ourselves we will sacrifice so much for other people but we never will participate in our own rescue from this mediocrity because that's what ends up happening when we don't chase our dreams when we don't seek to live out the purpose that god has intended for us then we're nowhere yeah we're not going to be happy so you may as well go out there and grab onto the thing that you really want because you're going to have a lot of sleepless nights when you don't that's good yeah i'd say the opposite side is those that don't care about anybody and who are going to, you know, seek after whatever achievement they're going to achieve, no Mm -hmm. matter who they hurt and no matter what. And both are pride. Absolutely. You know, that's the crazy part. It's like, you know, I was talking with somebody else the other day and I was like, yeah, I'm definitely have some deep pride. And they're like, you never, you know, you never come off as prideful. And I was like, Oh, I'm not saying I'm outwardly prideful. (laughs) I'm like, I want to do the right thing. And the good thing, so God's happy with me. Yes. You know, and I want to do the podcast and, and write and, and lead and make decisions. So people look at my life and go, oh, he's making good decisions, so he's doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. That's still pride. It, absolutely. Like, it's still like, well, God's doing it. Yes. He's working through me. Yes. He's already happy with me. He's right. already pleased with me. He already loves me. And it, and if and if it's any part of good that's happening in my life, it's him doing it. Absolutely. You know, and that's, that's like what I pray for and ask for that I can't even muster up a moment without him. Uh, and that's the crazy part. But we, we know that pride, I, I think you make a really wonderful point. Uh, pride shows up in so many different ways. Uh, pride shows up in perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a time some years ago, and, and um, I do career coaching and, um, and working with people, and they would love to answer the question when an employer asks them, well, tell me one negative thing about yourself or one bad trait that you would like to change. And they would always say, well, I'm a perfectionist. And that was thought to be the ideal answer, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I want everything to be right. There's nothing ideal about it because the perfectionism is a type of pride, right? Because if I desire to be perfect, then I'm not going to try new things. I'm not going to grow because I need to find my comfort zone, something that I know I can do with 100% accuracy and everybody's going to applaud me and I'm never going to do anything different Mm -hmm. because I need to be perfect. And so it's such a, it's a thing that really stunts our growth. But if we set our pride aside and we decide it's okay to look foolish, then we'll try new things. That's right. I was at a training um, a couple of months ago, and it was a room full of like, you know, button down professionals and everything. And uh, we had like three or four big bags of tricks. And one of the things that we were doing was going to require me to put on a raincoat, uh, some sunglasses and sing. (laughs) 
The first thing that's important to know is I absolutely cannot sing. Can't hold a tune. No. <laughs> At all. But I wrote that in the presentation because it was a personal test for me. That's good. And so I got up and I got that yellow raincoat on and I put on those sunglasses. And in front of all of these people, I sang, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. And it really hammered home this point. Everybody loved it. It went over amazingly well. But for me, the victory was doing something that I would never have done. Yeah. I mean, it was so good that my my life partner and my training partner, Suzette, she, she looks at me because I start in on a second verse. And she's like, oh, my goodness, we just practiced the first verse. But okay, you're doing it. I'm right. with you. Right? And so we... When we do things like that, when we're afraid, um, when we're not afraid to look foolish, when we are not afraid to take chances, then we can really grow so much more and mm -hmm. so much uh, more quickly. And we can really help others to learn from our examples. Absolutely. I mean, what you're talking about very deeply is just authenticity. Yes. Right. It's absolutely. not perfection or underperforming or overperforming, but learning as an adult to be who you are in the moment, regardless of how Absolutely. everybody else thinks about you and being able to get up there confidently and know that you can't sing, you know, a lick, but yet <laughs> that's not what the point of the whole thing is. Absolutely. Right. You're not, that's the crazy part. You're not, you're not going to, let's say American Idol, clueless, <laughs> exactly. but you're exactly. not about to get, you know, yeah. an award, yeah. you know, that's the people, I mean, that's why people watch American Idol, right. Or if they still sure. do, if that's still a show date myself. Um, but it's like, you know, people watch it to see the person who literally has no insight into their self Absolutely. and everybody's going, who hasn't told this person? <laughs> <laughs> this person has no friends. Yeah. Like they have yeah. no friends. That's a different thing. But when you, when you're being authentic and you're like, Oh, I know this is the case yes. and I'm confident enough to do it because that's not the purpose of it. Then, then that resonates with people. Yes. Right. Yes, because it does. You're not up there faking it or trying to overcompensate or undercompensate. And, and we do a lot of equine therapy or I've done a lot. And, uh, there are two stories out of that, that I think are on track with what we're talking about. One is, so I get there and we I did a four day in personal intensive. So you go for yourself yes, and you're going to go four straight days of equine therapy, trauma therapy recovery. This is about two years ago. And we get there and I don't know who's going to be there. I get there. There's 13 women and me. Oh, wow. And then there's four <laughs> therapists and they're all women. I so I'm out it. in the country, you know, at this farm, it's me and like yes. 16 women. And so the first group that we do, we sit down and we talk about everybody's feeling. And, and I, I just said, listen, I'm, I'm going to be very honest. I feel tense because it, we're in this world and it was during like COVID. So it was, yes. everything was outside. And like, we're in this world where as a, a white male, mm -hmm. me talking about my feelings in front of a bunch of diverse women yes. feels like it's going to get laughed at. Uh, you know, it's going to like right now in the culture to say as a man, I have right. feelings or I have trauma. Mm -hmm. It's like right now the culture's like, shut up. It's not your time to talk. Sure. Sure. You know? And so I just was open and I said, so I don't really know how to navigate this, but I'm willing to, you know? So they were super kind and gracious. And, um, well, the first activity is we get in this, um, we get out in this field and we have this huge blanket and it's called like womb work. So like womb, like, you know, mother's mm -hmm. womb. Sure. And so you get inside of it and you put it over you and you stretch in it and then you move out. And so you're, you're pretending to process kind of your, this, this inner child work. But anyway, yes. I'm just, I'm sitting there doing it. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know a guy that I know that would be doing this that right now. That would be now. doing this. Yeah. And uh, I know a couple now, but like, uh, you know, but there was that immediate, like, you know, and I had to, I have to, and this is my personality. I'm sort of like you. I just threw myself into it. I was like, don't oh, overthink it. Just that's do right. it. But that was very humbling. Um, and then the second part that brings me back to the authenticity piece is one of the things about therapy and working with people and becoming healthier is that, is that finding that authenticity. And we, what we see in our country a lot is passive aggressive communication yes. or aggressive communication. Mm. You know, it's like everything's overly felt and overly emotional or there's no feelings or emotions. It's, it's the Ben Shapiro facts, not feelings kind right. of mentality. And that feels very unsafe for people's bodies. 
Absolutely. Because for thousands of years, you know, millions of years, we've adapted to survival mechanisms Mm -hmm. and going, I'm looking out for the bad guy. I'm looking out for the dangerous person. And then if you have trauma at all, then you're, you know, that hypervigilance, that watchdog, the hippocampus in your brain is like, I'm looking out for everything. Like anybody who's inauthentic is dangerous and I'm out. Absolutely. And I think that we, uh, we can be um, so taken with playing out the worst case scenarios, mm-hmm. uh, which is the being on the lookout for danger at every turn. Uh, we consume so much uh, drama, and mm-hmm. we use that word now just so so much, but uh, our TV shows are filled with drama, usually violent drama. Uh, the music, uh, the the scenery, everything. Uh, we think about the evening news, and there is the violence that plays out. And mm-hmm. if you are in um, your kitchen, and I installed a, a small television in, in, in my kitchen last year, and one day it was on, like, uh, World News Tonight, and I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to make pasta, and it's death and destruction, like nonstop for like the first like five minutes. And they're like, wait until we tell you about this. And before you can like catch your breath from that disaster, they they hit you with that and coming up after the commercial break. And I said, you know what? I can fix this. I can shut it off. Right. But so often we can't shut it off, but we are looking for the bad thing, the bad person. And we have been made to believe that everything is out there to hurt us. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also is veering away from what we know. Uh, we know that the best is yet to come. Mm-hmm. So, but when we are knowing that the best is yet to come, we got to do good first and then better and then the best. Mm-hmm. So we got to first take that step. And so when we know that we're adding to the good, when we know that we're making a difference. Yep. That's what truly matters. That's what's going to get us through these days that sometimes feel like anything could happen to me. Uh, when we are in service, we can forget about ourselves. And so we're not so taken with the fear of judgment and the lack of authenticity because we're just busy helping someone else we're busy serving someone else and our fear subsides because it all is just fear Mm -hmm. um we if and when we're operating in the realm of fear we'll hurt ourselves and we'll definitely hurt other people absolutely that's great um what else is there anything else right now you're currently doing uh working as as the lawyer for domestic violence you're doing your coaching you're speaking yes and what else are you doing? Writing, I am, writing soliloquies and I, plays? And <laughs> just not to sing them, right? What? Absolutely not. Um, one of the uh, major accomplishments that um, I had last year was, uh, as a coach, there are only so many hours in the day. And so uh, the coaching session is uh, 50 minutes. And so uh, being blessed with clients means that you still have to manage those hours. Mm -hmm. And so what we were able to do is to develop a digital course. That's all. And I was so thrilled with that. 21 days? 21 days. And what we do is there are three modules, uh, Power, Purpose, and Destiny. Uh, A lot of the work that I do centers on those three principles because the power when we truly uh, believe in our own power, which is to understand that there is greatness within us, that we are born as greatness, and that we owe a a portion of that greatness to the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the service. Uh, When we think about purpose, connecting what we want to do to the well-being of others and destiny, we have to create the life that we want to live so that it aligns with the life that God has meant for us yeah. to live. So those three principles really anchor a lot of the work. And so each of those three modules um, 
the our clients will spend seven days on each module and then we come in at the end of each module to talk about it to answer questions to help to anchor some of the material with some one-on-one and we have had such a wonderful response to that that's awesome because not everyone is able to do the one-on-one coaching program that's usually uh, about eight weeks. And so it gives us an opportunity to offer something that's self-guided, but that can also help to impart that enlightenment and awareness that mm-hmm. we all need. And then they get some like supplemental coaching hours within. Absolutely yeah, within. Great. And so I'm working finally uh, for years, I've wanted to write a book. And so I have said that this is the year, this is the year that that happens because that's a dream. Yeah. And uh, I'm always talking uh, to audiences about dreams and believing them and that they're valuable. And we have dreams for a reason. Uh, I think that every good thing that we want to do mm-hmm. is what God has poured into us. And as a friend of mine says, I want to download everything that God has put into me. I don't want to leave anything on the table. And so we can pour out so much. And as we pour out, then all of the issues that we see will become better. And so that is, um, I'm planning to do some more travel this year uh, to different places uh, to, to speak and to coach and, and just trying to fill up the calendar with good things, Mm -hmm. but also to take the time to continue doing the things that I enjoy. Uh, this past year I've gotten back to my cooking and baking, which that's my therapy. Uh, a lot of days is to bake. Uh, my specialty of course is the sour cream pound cake. Oh man. I'll be looking for that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. And you know, just because we, we can pour out, we can serve, we can do so much, but we also have to make sure that we are restoring and rebuilding Amen. and doing what we love. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you can't pour from an empty cup. You know, they say you that cannot, all the time. And you I cannot. Think as caregivers and as helpers and as speakers and leaders, it's easy because you get a lot of, you know, you get a lot of dopamine, you get a lot of affirmation, you know, you, you see people, you feel like what you're doing has an impact and it's easy to just burn yourself completely out and it not is. take care of yourself. It so is. I'm proud of you. I think what you do is awesome. I think you're an amazing person. And, um, if anybody needs support or help, you know, wants coaching, uh, Brittany's a, a great person to guide you through that. You, you've heard her, her resume today and it's quite, uh, impressive. And so where can they kind of find you online? What can they, where can they go to if they want, uh, uh we're on social as key point leadership, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and also our website, uh, keypointleadership.com. Okay. I'll have Chip put those in the show notes and you guys can check them out and, follow her on social media and uh i'm just thankful for your time today is there any kind of closing thoughts you had or anything you wanted to cover while we still got some time i just want to say clint that is so important that we remember that even though it's eight billion of us here on this planet that all of us want the same things uh healthy relationships We want uh, financial security. We want to do what we love, right? And we want physical and mental wellness. And so when we know that we're all connected Mm -hmm. because we want all of those same things, then it helps us to be less fearful and it helps us to engage with people that we don't necessarily think that we can or that we should. So I just want to encourage everyone to make those connections, to engage, and to get in front of the fear. It's beautiful. Appreciate you so much. Thank you guys for listening. Hope this was very helpful and encouraging to you. Um, Like and subscribe. You know all the things that I never really push. So if you want to follow us, follow us. God bless you and have a good week.